Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. This morning I had an opportunity to see a few of you again for the very first time. Um, one of the conundrums that we have in this day and age is uh, nobody is afraid of viruses and everybody is. When you see folks that are coming in and uh, they're in here to uh, participate in worship, to be a part of what we're doing on a Sunday morning, don't take these uh, interactions lightly. You have folks that are sitting around you right now that are here by choice. They're here because they need fellowship. They want to worship the Lord. They want to do it corporately, uh, and they want to respond to him. But you have an awesome opportunity this morning to look to a neighbor. If you're rejoicing in the Lord, if you are thankful for him, you have an opportunity to look to a neighbor and be able to encourage them. If they're struggling, pray with them. If they're rejoicing, rejoice together, but don't leave just uh, being blessed on your own. Okay? Yeah, you guys are super behind that statement right there. I know. <laughs> do so, You heard it here at church. Do something for somebody else. Okay? Write that in your notes. We are in uh, the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews. I want you to turn to chapter 7. In the book of Hebrews, and yes, if uh, you're looking at your notes, uh, it's not a typo, 7, 1 through 8, 6. We're going to remain seated for this, okay? For those of you, uh, God blessed people who brought a paper Bible. Put your finger there in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, and I want you to turn back also. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 14. Now, if you... uh, are one of those uh, awesome folks who are good with technology. You just open a separate window on both of yours so you can toggle back and forth. I want you to see this in your own Bible. I want you to read the Bible with your eyes open. Now, we, we made a, a promise to you, Pete and I did, as we were going through the book of Hebrews, we're going to try and just hit all the mountain peaks, be able to do this. And the implication was that we were not going to get into the weeds. I want you to see a couple of pictures here really quick. Uh, these are called uh, lupine. I think we have another one here of some poppies. Yeah, you know what those are? Weeds. Those are beautiful weeds, weeds that you would want to put on your table, okay? This morning, I'm not going to get into the weeds, but I am going to show you some great weeds you can pick and take home for yourself, okay? We're going to go through those, and then we're going to land at an application that I think drives the heart of this passage home. But you can't get there unless you grab some of these details. And the intention of the morning is that you would see just some of the statements that God himself says, hey, you might have missed this on your first time through the Old Testament. You might have missed all these interactions. You might have missed these little statements. You might have missed these things. And he's doing two things. He's causing you to be blessed and overwhelmed as you read the scriptures for their depth. They are continually deep. But he's also given you a lesson on how to read the Bible. He's asking you to look for these breadcrumbs and trails throughout Scripture, not to come up with your own answers, but search the Bible to find out what does God say himself about those breadcrumbs. And he gives you a little lesson in there in the passage that we're looking at this morning. Are you ready for that? Beautiful weeds. Beautiful weeds. 
okay? Weeds, plural, we're in Oregon. I gotta make sure I say that. (laughs) Genesis 14, starting with verse 17. We're gonna stay seated because we do have a prolonged amount and there's a lot of um, going back and forth. I don't want anyone to fall over, okay? Genesis 14, verse 17, it says this. After Abram returned from defeating Chertolomer, the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in Shava Valley, that is the king's valley. It's a known place right near Jerusalem. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who is handed over to you your enemies. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people, you take the possessions for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, the God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that belongs to you so that you can never say I made Abram rich. I'll take nothing except what the servants have eaten, but as for the share of the men who are with me, they can take their share. Hebrews chapter seven, uh, just a few verses here focused on this man named Melchizedek, but God expands on it. Chapter seven, verse one, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the God most high, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, Melchizedek. Then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, mother, or genealogy, did you notice that? Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Notice that sentence structure. Now consider how this man was. Even Abram, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the plunder to him. The sons of Levi, who received their priestly office, have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their brothers and sisters, though they've descended from Abraham. But one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. Abraham inferior to this man he just meets out in the desert? In one case, men will die to receive a tenth. But the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. In a sense, Levi himself, who received a tenth, paid a tenth through Abraham. For he was still within his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, people received the law, What further need was there for another priest to appear, to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For if there's a change of priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. For one of these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it's evident that our Lord came from Judah and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. This becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears who did not become a priest based on legal regulations about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. 
For it's been testified you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110. So the previous command is annulled because it is weak and unprofitable. For the law, is perfect, the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. None of this happened without an oath. For others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who have come to God through him. He always lives to intercede for them. For this kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do for their own sins and those for the sins of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Now, the main point of what is being said is this. Don't you like uh, that he does that? Uh, waking you back up if you fell asleep at any point. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices and it was necessary for the priest to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth... He wouldn't be a priest since there are those who are offering the gifts prescribed by the law. These serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Moses warned when he was uh, about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, be careful you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But Jesus has obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is a mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. Do you believe that's true? We're going to do something this morning. Uh, I'm going to try to buzz through 10 truths about Melchizedek and uh, Jesus. All right? 10 truths about Melchizedek. And uh, it's actually more like 20 because I'll make some comments in there. Um, I just used 10 because it felt like it was an impossible already task, okay? Let's jump to these and then I want you to see two things personally before you leave. Why are these important? By the way, uh, these truths are important because God's not only teaching us how to look at Jesus, he's teaching us how to read the scriptures and be in awe of who he is. First thing I want you to notice out of this passage, out of Hebrews, Melchizedek only appears in three books of the Bible, Genesis, Psalms, Psalm 110, and Hebrews. And his name is, is tied into, in essence, four verses in the Old Testament. But he gets a chapter and a half right here, a treatment by the author of Hebrews. That's incredible. Uh, The question, um, after so much is said about him, uh, has to be, do I need to read the rest of the Bible a little more closely? 
As you look at these interactions and you begin to notice how it is that the author of Hebrews looks at this man, this king, he looks at his name, he looks at his location, he looks at certain things that are around him, and he says, I need you to note these things. There is more to be said about Jesus than you can wrap your mind around. This is Jesus once again coming to us in a road to Emmaus moment. He's unpacking for us. The scriptures are unpacking for us. Do you know there's all these things about Christ that you didn't see the first time you went through? I was uh, listening to a pastor talk about a, a moment that he had as he was coming out of Israel and he had the opportunity to be on a brand new plane. Um, I don't know if it just came out of the shrink wrap or what it was, but uh, somehow they'd identified to him, you're on a brand new plane, everything is perfect. And they took off from where he was, somewhere uh, near the Middle East. And uh, as they were getting up to altitude, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of bells and whistles started going off. And he's chuckling to himself. He's like, oh, they just, uh, they don't know how to turn these off. And, and uh, there's people running around inside the cabin. He said, uh, the people that were taking care of us are trying to find out where these bells are, what is going on. He says, and really, he said, I, I was just chuckling to myself the whole time. Hey, it's a brand new plane. They don't know how to fly it. Uh, he said, it's, it's really chaotic. And uh, he didn't think anything else of it. Until about five years later, he's talking with a friend and they were just sharing about different moments in their life. And his friend said, I had a near-death experience. He said, and it shaped my entire life up until now. He said, it was about five years ago. I was on a plane. And he said, and all these bells and whistles started going off. And he says, and I was told by one of the flight attendants, I think that we're about to crash. The plane is saying that it's losing power and it's shutting down. He said, everyone was running around trying to make sure that people were in their seats and they were belted in and that they were prepared he goes, well, what flight was that on? And it was the same flight that he was on. It was his flight. He's chuckling, has no idea what is going on. His other friend was keenly aware because somebody from the flight crew had told him. He was preparing to meet his God. The other guy was preparing to drink a Coke. <laughs> Sometimes you have a moment later on that brings clarity to something that happened in your life that you thought had no significance. This is one of these moments. You just read over a passage in, and you probably didn't even write it down in your journal as you're looking at the book of Genesis. And the author of Hebrews says, you don't wanna skip over this guy. He has more meat there than you can wrap your mind around. What are some of these things? First notice that Jesus lived a one of a kind life. Jesus or Melchizedek. Um, you can put those together. Uh, by the way, these uh, 10, I, I tried to phrase them in a way that when I popped them into the Google search engine on my Apple computer, yes, it's from the dark side. <laughs> On Safari, it popped up to websites that would be able to take you deeper, okay? From uh, Bible.org and uh, Carm and a few others that uh, had uh, some interesting notes on this. Jesus lived a one-of-a-kind life. It says that uh, there's no lineage. Remember, you're in the book of Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. Every single man that's presented to you, you are given his lineage. If he is a person of significance, you're given his lineage. You are told who his father is, who he's descended from, the area that he is from. We just get Melchizedek and he's just there. And everyone reveres him. A man with no lineage in a book that's only about lineage. The only other person without a lineage is Adam. Significant moment. A man without lineage, but also no heirs. He doesn't leave any heirs. He pops onto the scene. He disappears from the scene. His name is king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. 
He's the king of a place called peace, Salem. It would later be renamed God's peace, Jerusalem. Here's this man that pops onto the scene. And it says that a greater for sure blesses the lesser. This man pops onto the scene. He has no lineage. He's not known by anybody else. He's the king of peace. And he blesses Abram. And everyone agrees the greater blessed the lesser. How? What's his story? He has a one of a kind life. Jesus is in the same vein. He bursts onto the scene at age 30. And all of these miraculous things happen that prove that he is God's son. And we ought to follow him. Third thing I want you to see here is that Jesus, as a high priest and king, Jesus, Melchizedek here, also quoted, receives our offerings as a high act of worship. Uh, verse four, now consider how great this man was that even Abraham the patriarch gave him a tenth of the plunder. Uh, a tenth, by the way, predates the law. That was just a sign of deep respect and an honor of worship to the Lord. Plug that into your own life however you will. If you've been blessed by God, there ought to be some way that you are saying, Lord God, take this. Here he is receiving that plunder, receiving those gifts on behalf of the living God for Abraham. He's receiving those things and helping him worship. Note also that Jesus and Melchizedek, he blesses with a promise of the future. Uh, verse 7 here in Hebrews, without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. If we go back to that moment in uh, Genesis, it says, he was a high priest to the God most high, verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. By the way, these are the themes of Genesis that have already been there. He's saying, I agree with everything that has already been written. And blessed be God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. Abram, you didn't just win the day against a bunch of kings. You're just a dude living in a tent with 300 other guys that could have just been 300 angry men that you gathered together. Somehow you beat kings. They were handed over to you by God most high because you're his man. And he recognizes, he blesses him and says, you're gonna be blessed. He blesses him with a promise of a future. This blessing will not end. Just a side note, both uh, Jimmy Dodd, when he was here, and others have noted that uh, blessings in the Old Testament, even blessings in the New, uh, carry weight. When Timothy is reminded that he needs to carry on faithfully uh, the ministry that he has, he says, remember this ministry. You were called to a pastoral ministry, and we laid our hands on you in that moment of commissioning. We bless you. God is going to honor that blessing. You want to know one of the things that we don't do well in this generation? We don't bless. We've wanted to get away from the formality. We are fearful of formality. And in the process, we have actually gotten rid of something that is beautiful and even sacred. A father blessing his kids. An elder team blessing their leaders. A minister sent by God blessing somebody at the hospital. Here is this moment where he puts on display, this blessing happens and it carries weight into the future. God is concerned with that blessing. 
Fifth thing I want you to notice is Jesus enables and confirms our standing before God. The statement made in there is not by knowledge alone, but by the power of an indestructible life. Uh, Verse 15 and 16 there in in, uh, Hebrews. He meets Abraham. He knows Abraham. And he blesses Abraham. And Hebrews actually fills in the blanks. We don't know what happens to Melchizedek, but we do know that somehow in this moment, right here in Hebrews, God says that kind of priesthood continues on. Jesus is a priest forever for us, an intermediary between us and God forever by the power of an indestructible life. He confirms our standing before God. We are able to come and worship because of Jesus. We know that we're worshiping in the right way because of Jesus. He takes care of all the problems that might be in our life. Only Jesus can do that. He cleans up our transgressions. He takes care of the problems that are in our life that we have created. He cleanses the trail of sin. He puts us in a right standing in the relationships that we have in our life and enables us to be able to be seen before the living God, to have a place where we can speak, the throne room of heaven. Jesus does that all. Jesus never falters, forgets, forsakes, or fails. Verse 26, for this is the kind of high priest that we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He says, by the way, that's intimated when you run into Melchizedek. Separated, undefiled, nothing negative said about him, the king of peace. Jesus, in a far greater way, has exemplified all those things. Seventh thing that we hear, remember, we're picking beautiful weeds. You can look these up later. These are worthy of a deep dive this week. Jesus speaks for God and speaks for us in the presence of God. 8.1, it says, now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. Here he is, a high priest who can speak to us what we need in order to get right with God. And he speaks to God on our behalf. He is taking our concerns to him. When we sin, he's saying, no, 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 I paid for that one. He is covering those transgressions. He has paid for all of our sins. He's taking care of all of the details. He's a high priest. If you want to know more about what it is that he actually covers for you, how you can be clean in a moment if you just ask for forgiveness, that when you fail and you falter, that you have an advocate in heaven, just take a look at the opening chapters, those chapter one and two of 1 John. He speaks for us. These last three were uh, actually for me, I, I was walking through these, I'd seen them, I had a little note in my Bible, but I had forgotten this trail and it blew my mind. That's a term that teenagers used to use. <laughs> Jesus is proof that God keeps his word. Now, because of time, I, I put the verses in there, but I just want you to wrap your mind around this. In Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, God meets Abraham. He tells him what he's gonna do in his life. He's gonna bless him and make him as uh, a, a nation that they're so, so great, you wouldn't be able to count the number of the people that were Abraham's like the sand on the seashore. 
like the stars in the heaven. He's going to bless him. He's going to make him great. And he says that he's going to make him such a blessing that the nations would be glad and kings would bow down. Well, just two chapters later, 14, 19 through 20, nations are impacted and a king is helping him worship. Other kings are bowing down and saying, we were delivered because of Abraham. Already the beginning of that is fulfilled with Melchizedek. Just a little glimpse of what is going to happen. He's changing the destiny of what would become nations. Some of these leaders that he helps set free go on to establish their lands. Psalm 110.4, we have this statement. Um, It's a profound one. In fact, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. But it says this. This is the declaration of the Lord. Verse 1, to my Lord, sit at my hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Uh, Jesus even brings this up as a conundrum. How is it that God... As David is listening in, who is God speaking to? The Lord says to my Lord. God speaking to Jesus in the heavens and David's trying to figure out what's happening. In verse four, in this conversation, the Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever, according to the pattern of Melchizedek. Here is this promise going forward and how is that gonna be fulfilled? Well, Jesus fulfills this promise, Psalm 110 He completes it. Notice this also. Jesus commemorates his great moment with a supper, bread and wine. Did you notice what it was that Melchizedek brings out to celebrate a victory over the enemy where people who were in captivity were set free and lost nothing? What does he bring out? Bread and wine, verse 18. Just those two things, not a regular feast, He brings out the two symbols of the cup that Jesus passes around to his men at the Lord's Supper. He commemorates this great moment with a supper. And finally, Jesus replaces rules with grace, 8.6. But Jesus now has obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. Jesus is greater. Folks, every single one of those is worthy of a morning's devotions. You can take a look at it and they will fill up your morning. All right? Are we okay? I just backed up the dump truck and threw a whole bunch of things on there for you to study on your own. It's homework from church. (laughs) Two thoughts. I really want you to wrap your minds around this because I believe that the author of Hebrews is trying to drive home a point that will make a difference in your life today. He's trying to show you all these theological trails and something beautiful that is in your Bible, but he doesn't just want you to walk away with trivia and to be uh, excited that the, the books of the Bible fit together like these beautiful gears that move us forward. He actually wants your life to be impacted. Just a couple of thoughts that rose as I was reading through this. Read through the rest of the scriptures. You will see this pattern and it's God at work. But God often sends unknown messengers to out of the way places to bless his servants in the wake of life-defining moments. Unknown messengers to out of the way places to bless his servants in the wake of life-defining moments. Looking to Edwards, was in a moment where she didn't really know uh, what it was 
uh, that she was going to do. Literally, it was uh, going through life and was a little bit overwhelmed and thought, you know what? I'm just going to buy a lottery ticket, okay? But she didn't want to buy the high-end lottery ticket because she thought, this is just a tax on people that are depressed like me. So she put some money in, but she was going to hit this button and then get some change back, right? But a guy standing near her walks up and bumped her arm and accidentally she purchased a $30 ticket instead of a $5 ticket. She was so mad. He didn't even say sorry. He walked by, goes out into the parking lot and she's stuck with a $30 ticket. In fact, she's angry about it as she gets in there because she goes, I know this isn't worth anything. This isn't actually going to help me in my walk at all. It's not going to do anything for me. She scratches it off and she looks at it and it tells her that she's a winner but she says, but the ticket that I had on there, the, the winner gets $10 million. She said, that can't be the case. So she scans it with her phone and then she uploads it into whatever app it was that this was associated with. And sure enough, that's the winning ticket, $10 million. And she's glad now that she didn't know who that guy was. She didn't want to give him a tip. At the end of that moment, she says she was so depressed and she was so overwhelmed when she went in there. She shouldn't have bought a ticket, she says, but she buys this. This guy bumps into me. So she says, I'm going to start a foundation to help some other people in my area. And she starts a nonprofit with $10 million to be able to bless people who are depressed like her. So they wouldn't go to the lottery for help, but they would go to a person. Out of the way moments. Abraham is only in the place where he is at that moment because he is doing the right thing. He's not doing the wrong thing. He's just living life. He's going through life and Lot gets in trouble. Now he's dragged Lot along with him and there's a lot of questions about whether or not he ever should have been there. But nonetheless, Lot, his family, gets himself into trouble. And Abraham goes and he, and he says, I'll just, I'm gonna dig him out. But this does not feel like one of those moments where your life is just turning into a blessing and everything is popping out roses and it seems like the path is glittering with gold. No, this is one of these moments where somebody told you that you're blessed, but you go back to your Bedouin tent and you don't yet have a land and you don't have a place really to call home other than wherever it is your people are. And somebody gets in trouble and you're cleaning up more messes and it's part of the mundane part of life. In fact, this is one of those where you have to enter into somebody else's mess and carry them. Abraham is just trudging through life. If you were to hear his journal and God meets him in this out of the way place and says, yeah, you're over here doing this. You're my guy. I have blessed you. I have a future for you. There is a plan and I know this didn't seem like it, but I actually brought you out here for a divine intervention. I put you in this place as an answer to prayer. When we were down in Guatemala, uh, we spent some time with the Marican family. And uh, one of their sons was a translator for me, Omar. Just a, a wonderful guy. Um, he's one of these delightful people that can do a thousand things well. Uh, he is always moving, always working, but always delightful, always has time. He just has the grace of God on his face. And I asked him, I said, how is it that your family has had all of these interactions? How, how are they uh, able to minister? And he says, you know what? It was actually a, a crazy thing. He said, when my dad was first going into ministry, he said we were in Honduras. Um, 
and he began to pray and he said he wanted to do something big. He had this big personality and we were in a, a bigger city at the time. And he said, Lord, I want to be in the center of what you're doing, not just here, but in all of the Americas. I want to be at the very center of where you are at work. And the pastoral team that was there told him, we want you to go move to this little town. Well, he, he has to move to this town, but it's literally the middle of nowhere. It's like a wasteland. And he begins to work and he's like, I, I was bothered. I, I'm like, Lord, I told you I want to do big things. You stuck me in this place. Well, a little while later, a group of people uh, were trying to find the geographical center of the Americas. And they have a pile of rocks. It's there. It's that town where he was at in Honduras. And he begins to serve faithfully. He says, God answered my prayer. So I just thought, well, hey, if the Lord stuck me in the center of what he's doing in all of the Americas, I better get to work. Sure enough, wherever he has gone. The community has drawn together. They have found ways to bless the people. And in that blessing, shared the gospel. When he was there in that little town of Salama, he had moved there. Uh, not very many, but all of these compassion pastors that are starting churches uh, in order to be able to create compassion centers so that the kids in these broken communities would have a place to get an education and get help, but also hear the gospel. He wanted to contribute to that, so he worked along with LifeWater, they begin to sell that water uh, at cheaper than what they could get water from the government. They're trying to give it away, just paying the maintenance fees. But so much water was going into the community. They had this overrun of funds. And instead of keeping it, they ended up in a place where the average family makes $30 a month. $30 a month, folks. And things are just as expensive as they are here. Subsistence, barely making it. He and that church, this man who prayed, God, just put me in the center of what you're doing in all of the Americas. Well, it turns out it's not a place. It's in the heart. 1,800 kids receiving meals and hearing the gospel from the churches. Provided by water that they're just doing in order to improve their community and the gospels going forward. Instead of putting him in a place, he changed the guy's heart and ministry has gone forward. Omar wanted to tell me that. He said, I've just committed whatever I'm supposed to do. Every little thing, God may take hold of it. He said, I'm just waiting to see what God will do in my life. Has God put somebody in your life to encourage you? And you feel like it's just gone sideways, like there's something else that you're supposed to be about. You're following your kids. Your family member has made a mess of things. You watch. Jesus is on display in this passage, but God sends those people to remind you of Jesus and put him on display. He will meet you in your mess. Second thing I want you to see as we walk away from this passage is that the world is bigger than whatever it is you're working through. Now, some of you are working through big things. The world is bigger than whatever it is that you are working through, and so is Jesus. This is just a tiny little passage, and Abraham's walking through it. Four verses in the Old Testament, and the New Testament says, do you want to know what just happened in that moment? Something way bigger than that scene allowed you to think. God is about big things. We remind you about it over and over again, but when the story of history is told, you will not be the major character, Okay? Yeah, some of you, that's a revelation. You're like, what? 
Mom said I was. You're not the major player. But we live our life as if we are. We get discouraged as if we are. We get bothered as if we are. Why not attach yourself to the thing that is bigger and see God's scene? Abraham is out in a place. Kings are fighting. Lot's held hostage. Abraham's cleaning up the mess, right? But he meets the unworried king of peace in the middle of all the stuff that's going on in his life, the unworried king of peace. And the king of peace reminds him, God's got a plan for you, and it goes all the way to heaven. It's profound. Right here in our own state, famous story, uh, I think it was 2008, Western Oregon versus Central Washington. Girls softball, they're playing for the uh, national championship. Um, the amount of games had already been won and lost so that these teams needed to win this game in order to proceed. Western Oregon was having a little bit of trouble um, being able to stop some runs, and so they had swapped a player in, uh, Sarah Tukulski, um, for her defense in the outfield, but not because of her hitting. In fact, if you just looked at her statistics, the expectation would be that one time out of every 10 times at bat, she would have gotten a hit Okay, one time out of every 10, she's out there for defense. Two people have gotten onto the bases. Sarah comes up to bat. It's one of the highest moments of her life. She's in the playoffs with her team. She gets put in uh, because of a different skill set. The pitcher is told to pitch down and away, misses the pitch, actually pitches a, just a big fat softball over the plate. She hits this line drive hit, but actually it goes clear all the way out, home run, out of the park. Everybody's going around, and uh, the video puts that on display. Everyone's going around. The base is clear, and as the camera is following the first two runners that were on base getting to home, they stop, and you can hear somebody say, where is Sarah? The camera pans back over. Sarah's laying on the ground, turning first base. She had blown out her knee. A pop that was audible enough that the people in the audience had heard it. She's laying on the ground. She has crawled back to first base. And people begin to respond. But somebody yells, don't touch her. She's laying there as this drama begins to play out. Nobody can touch her from her team or else she's out. The run doesn't count. Nobody can touch her from all of the friends and family sitting out there in the audience. You can't be helped from the field to be able to finish that run. Somebody is yelling out, give her my wheelchair. Other people are saying, let me pull her. The team that is the ump and all the guys, all the guys that are, are watching the regulations have gathered together to say, what do we do? Do we help her? She's in agony. She's laying on this pillow, which is first base, hugging it, crying. I don't know what you would do. Mallory Holtman and Liz Wallace, Mallory Holtman, who at that time was the record holder for home runs, had hit more home runs than anybody else that year in that division. Sees her laying on the ground. She goes over to them. She says, will you let me carry her home? And she walks over. She grabs Liz, who is the shortstop. And she says, will you let us carry you? And she picked her up off of the field. And together, I think we have a picture of this, they carried her home. They touched her foot on first base, walked to second, touched her foot on second base, walked to third, touched her foot on third base, and carried her all the way home so that she could get the joy 
of a home run so that they could be on the winning team. She knew, Mallory, that this would cost them the game. There were consequences to this decision. ESPN, you can look this up in uh, the ESPN vault. The author of uh, the storyline for this says, there's a lot of people that have sent in a debate to me. They said if this was a professional baseball player, they never would have picked her up. If this was a good D1 player, she would have never been picked up. Anybody else with a real thought for the game wouldn't have picked her up. He says, but I think the cosmic question that is being forced into the room is, would any of us have enough character in the moment to do the right thing rather than be focused on ourselves? The only person who could see her home at high cost to herself, reached down, picked her up, and carried her home. Only person who could do it. Somebody who understood what it meant to hit a home one, who understood the cost of being out there on the field, who understood all the blood, sweat, and tears that went into a moment like that, who understood what her own team was facing, understood all of the dramatic pieces of the moment, picks her up and carries her home. They're friends to this day, I'm told. Here's the storyline that we have in Hebrews. Jesus is the high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and is the only one who can carry you home. And in every possible way that this thread can be woven into the storyline, he says, the author of Hebrews, he says he is every single thing that you need to see you home. Put your faith in him. He will meet you right now wherever you are. Whatever mess you have made, others have made, wherever you are on the trail of life, he will meet you right there in that place and he will see you home. He knows the cost. He knows the situation. He knows what you need to get right with God and he will do it all. Why? Because he loves us and he's the high priest of a better covenant. Amen? Father, we pray that you would help us now to apply these things. Help us not just to hear about Jesus, our high priest, the one who would reach down and carry us home, but help us to see a brother or sister right now today here because they are desperate for a, a touch from you. Father, I do pray that there be stories even from this morning where somebody noticed another friend, sees them again for the first time or sees them in a moment of hardship just reaches out and reminds them of your love, your blessing, the promise of eternity that comes from you, things that are far greater than us. But Father, I pray that you would reach into somebody else's mess this morning and cause them to look to you. Help us to be ministers. Father, help us to be followers. But most of all, help us to walk away amazed at Jesus, our high priest. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.